Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to The Daily Break. I'm Andrew Tallman. Here's what's happening today at Newsweek. Have you ever heard of digital license plates? Well, depending on where you live, you may already be driving with one. California, Arizona, Michigan, and now just recently, Texas have approved their use. Several other states are considering the prospect, including my home state of Florida, where we almost approved them this year for a pilot program, but not quite. So what are they? Well, imagine a tablet that's the size of a license plate that sits on the back of your car where the license plate would go and produces a digital readout just like your license plate would look, except that it's on an LED screen instead of being a physical piece of metal. Natural first question you might have is, why would anybody want that? Loads of reasons. If you're in a business, you might want it because it really facilitates fleet management. You know, if you're always having to figure out which cars are registered and how long is that registration good for and who's driving them and whatnot, this allows for things like tracking of location, potentially, if you have that equipped. It also prevents you from having to go out and look and see which cars are currently registered, which ones need new stickers and the like. If you're a private individual, well, it's a little bit different set of benefits, not the least of which is if your car gets stolen and you report it to the police, instead of a license plate on the back of your car, it could say something like, you know, stolen car. Pay attention to my bright red flashing license plate. And frankly, the applications here are numerous. If the police issue an amber alert, you could have some kind of a symbol or the color of the plate could change to that. Silver alert for senior citizens, same thing. You also have the possibility that when the registration expires, that could be displayed on the plate. It might not seem like a benefit to the owner of the car, but it's certainly a benefit to law enforcement. And some of the discussions I listened to this year included conversations about the plate producing a light in a spectrum that could only be seen with something that the police could look through. So theoretically, it would not broadcast to the whole world that, let's say, your license was suspended or that you had a DUI. But that's the kind of thing that could be worked into the digital plate. And then you have all the artistic possibilities, like you could switch from one kind of specialty plate to another or even theoretically customize them. I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities. Obviously, this comes at a cost. Now, the one company that's kind of pioneering all of this is called Reviver, and you can basically buy two options. One that runs on a battery, lasts about five years, and you just attach to the back of your car yourself, or one that is connected to your car's electrical system, and then you're going to have to pay for installation somewhere along the lines of $100. The actual functionality of it depends on using an app on your smartphone that then connects to the plate, and then you pay a monthly service fee, somewhere around $20 a month, month by month, or get a discount for buying a longer-term plan. Theoretically, this could even be integrated into parking systems where your plate would be connected to the app on your phone that you've paid parking for so that it could easily identify that you are or are not in compliance. Again, not necessarily a benefit for the driver, but certainly a benefit for the municipality or the private parking service. And again, theoretically, it could even turn into a kind of emergency alert system that the Department of Transportation or local law enforcement could immediately broadcast emergency messages to people right on their license plates so that everybody else would get the same information quickly about a criminal in the vicinity or some hazardous material spill or a weather alert. I mean, again, the possibilities are just about endless. 
You say, why would an individual spend so much money in order to have a device that seems other than theft to be primarily benefiting other people? Yeah, you're right. Americans would never spend a lot of money on interesting technology that's brand new, would they? On an unrelated note, does anybody know the release date for the next PlayStation? And now from the Science is Amazing file, have you heard about hypersonic weapons? Sure, these are weapons in development that can fly multiple times the speed of sound, which at sea level on a normal day is somewhere in the vicinity of 760 miles an hour. In this context, people are talking about things that will go somewhere between Mach 5 and Mach 10, so anywhere from 3,500 miles an hour to 7,500 miles an hour. Ridiculous speeds for weapons, but we're not talking about a weapon. We're talking about a plane that a company claims they can build to go Mach 9. You know, if you've seen the most recent Top Gun Maverick, not quite that fast, but really, really close. And they say they can make it available for commercial uses or private use, and it would be able to go all the way around the globe in, you know, an hour. And it's being designed to work at existing infrastructure, so you might be able to take off from, say, LAX and land in Tokyo in an hour and make the return flight and be home for dinner. The company is called Venus Aerospace, and it's founded by some pretty big hitters. Sarah Duggleby, who previously was a launch systems engineering and mission management consultant at Virgin Orbit, and Dr. Andrew Duggleby, her husband, who was the former head of launch operations at Virgin Orbit. They've got a fair amount of venture capital funding them, because obviously at that level of wealth, people are much more interested in saving time and doing something cool. They claim it would be able to go up to the edge of the atmosphere and then come back down. And they're working on engines that actually produce zero emissions, they claim, so it's supposed to be totally carbon neutral. And obviously one of the challenges they're dealing with is the aerodynamics of the structure, along with how it's going to resist the heat that is always a problem for these kinds of fast-flying things. But at least in theory, that's what they're working on. As they say, the future of aviation is faster, farther, and cleaner. It's not easy. It's rocket science. For my part... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm willing to put myself inside of a plane that travels, you know, three to four times the speed of a rifle bullet. The kind of thing that if they shot a bullet as I was passing, I'd be winning. Or if the thing had weapons on it, you could theoretically shoot it out and then as air dragged it back down to speed, run into it at enough of a speed to make it damage you, your own bullet. I'm not saying the things will be armed. I'm just saying this is where my brain goes. But since we know that traveling to space can get you up to 20 times the speed of sound, maybe. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And finally, from the sometimes things just work out file, a married couple in Oregon have discovered a really unique way they can celebrate their anniversary because Jim Stipen became an organ donor of a kidney to his wife, Maureen Stipen, on their 36th wedding anniversary. Now, Maureen has type 1 diabetes, which affects her kidneys. She was actually in stage 4 kidney disease, which is really, really bad, and obviously she needed a transplant. Type 1 diabetes is far less common than type 2, about 8% of people only having type 1. And certainly since they're not related by blood, it'd be very unlikely for him to be a perfect match for her. But it turns out he was, and their doctor had never seen anything like that. 
They've known each other their whole lives, grew up in Chicago in the suburbs where they lived across the street from each other. And because of their long history and the fact that the scheduled date for the surgery was in fact their 36th anniversary, she calls it her super kidney. Now, because of her type 1 diabetes, uh, Maureen does have another need, and she's now on the waiting list for a pancreas transplant to kind of finish things up for her. But they're planning a Hawaiian vacation, which until now wouldn't have been completely unfathomable to her based on their level of pain and discomfort. Now, of course, there is one part of me that wonders how it would be possible against all the odds and genetics that a couple of kids living across the street from each other once upon a time in a Chicago suburb could wind up being so genetically compatible that they could be a kidney donor for each other. And of course, it could just be random luck. Random, amazing, fantastic, providential luck. And of course, let's just say there could be other possibilities. So uh, let's just maybe leave it at everything's worked out for the best, they're happily married, and they're not asking too many questions. That's it for the Daily Break. Be sure to head over to Newsweek.com for these stories and more, including our growing podcast lineup. Consider subscribing to the digital and print editions of Newsweek if you haven't already. And while you're here, hit the five-star rating. I appreciate it. I'm Andrew Tallman. Thanks for listening to the Daily Break, brought to you by Newsweek. Newsweek.